This is where the magic happens. I'm Angela. I'm going to say crazy shit today. This is crazy shit day. This is... Hi, I'm Ryan. Thanks for listening. Again, we... We're into like the 20s of episodes. Yes. So we Mid-20s. are... Mid-20s. This is actually... This is we're getting when, close to like half a year. Yeah. This is also in your mid-20s is when you do all your crazy shit. So I think this is a good one to do this episode that I haven't wanted to do. Been putting Mid-20s, it Mid-20s, early to late 40s. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends on how you handle your Uranus opposition. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I've re-entered into a different pinnacle. So now life's a party. Mm-hmm. Um, and by that, I think I'm just going to really embrace like all things like because there are interesting people that have been entering my life recently that are i can sense that uh are going to be presenting like different avenues of um i don't know opportunities and like things i'll be doing uh maybe for fun and stuff like that so um but I mean, as is life for everybody, you're always yeah. meeting people who are, you know, pre- presenting different options for you. But this particular episode, we want to dive into past lives because that's something I'm, I'm really into past lives uh, as far as these books, like Many Lives, Many Masters, which is probably the most well-known past lives book, um, which is... I am uh, dying to read it. Um, you haven't read Many Lives, Many Masters? No, no, I'm... I'm brushing up on my sex magic research right now for Midsummer Scream, which is August 3rd. I'm doing a witch's panel in Long Beach. If anybody's around, you should come. I'm also reading that night in uh, the big gala, the party, Leota's Lounge. I'm one of the psychics in there. So, and um, I'm, I got a hotel room, so we're going to party afterwards. I don't like to use party as a verb at this point in my life, but I just did, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> I mean, I got a hotel room, okay? Yeah, when you got a hotel room, you got to use it. I'm just picturing a bunch of weirdos in there. We're all talking, no small talk, talking about past lives and crap like that. I couldn't remember the the name because I was getting confused with the book I'm reading now, but... Uh, Dr. Brian Weiss wrote Many Lives, Many Many Lives, Many Masters, which to many people is the the most seminal work when it Mm -hmm. comes to a therapist writing a book detailing the events of a patient um making them believe in past lives Mm -hmm. when before they were skeptics journey of souls which is the first of many books that dr michael newton wrote uh the case studies of life between lives is another book written by a doctor who became a believer in past lives and reincarnation because of his experiences with hypnotherapy and patients. Yeah. So what you have, you have medically minded, scientifically driven personality types who don't get into woo-woo. Yeah. And they don't get into woo-woo like you and I do. (laughs) Uh, But so... They become believers. And through, specifically through Dr. Michael Newton, which is different than Weiss in the, the sense that Weiss had one patient that he really like dove deep in on, on, at least in the book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And the fascinating thing about that patient was that patient, when he first stumbled upon like trying to go past, life, you know, trying to regress the patient into early childhood to figure out what was causing these recurring problems in the patient's life. And 
went too far back without realizing it. And in between, like, the previous life and the current life that the patient was having, there was a change in the patient's voice, uh, and that was like, like the spirit source kind of thing was speaking to, like, so her voice would change when she was no longer being her or her past life. I wonder life. if these recordings exist. I'm sure they do because he was transcribing them. And I mean, so they're for him. I mean, like, I mean, it's obviously patient, doctor, you know, yeah. confidentiality. But these in Journey of Souls, it is transcribed the conversations that he's having with many different patients that are all saying essentially the same thing about what's happening between lives. He's the way I describe it to people is he's mapping out the spirit world. That's amazing. And once you start to like hear all of this stuff and like dive into it and accept it to be true, uh, we kind of talked about it on the last episode. It's like, well, this is not a boring place. No. Like this is like a place where like you are learning, you are you're continuing your education mm-hmm. even in the spirit world. Um, there's lots of things going on. You're reunited with everybody in your soul cluster, which is like the fucking best. Yeah. You have an awareness of everything you did in that past life and everything you've done, ever done in past lives. You understand the lessons that you're making yourself learn. You understand the lessons you still have to learn and the challenges and the bodies and the lives you're going to be giving yourself in this next incarnation. It's like people are so happy once they get back. This is home. Yeah. The spirit world is home. Earth is a, a like, vacation it's like a, it's destination. Like a, well, it's like a workshop. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, but, I guess the, but there are the different ways to look at it. On. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and depending how far along you are, you have different colors that are associated with your oh, spirit, yeah. your soul. Yeah. But so that's very interesting stuff. But so the basis of this whole episode is going to be that, you know, you and I are obviously all in on reincarnation. Yeah. And so there's, a leap of faith that it takes for people to who aren't into reincarnation to get on board with someone saying they are the reincarnated yeah. so-and-so. Yeah. And, and we've talked about this like oh, almost every episode. Yeah. We've, we've kind of talked about this. Well, and I, it's funny because I, I, I think in, in preparation of finally talking about it officially and claiming this on the, on the podcast, I started telling more people and I started telling friends and I can tell, I can see which of my friends should be my ears based on their reaction to this because there are, I have very few friends who are not spiritual. Most of my friends are big into woo and even if they don't know anything, like they don't know their moon, they don't know their number, they want me to tell them. They're really curious about it and they're super open. But a very few times have I told somebody this story and had them be like, oh, that's cool. And that's like, let's not talk about this anymore. And whenever that has happened, it did happen recently. And I had this moment of, we're just not on the same path. Like, you're, we're, not, we're not here to talk to Paranormal each other. Paranormal problems for we, normal friends. Yeah, it's like we had a time and the time is over and now I'm doing all my spiritual work for the rest of my life, which is numerologic, numerologically, nope, well, almost, speaking from numerology point of <laughs> view. Numerologically. It, yeah, there, thanks, Ryan. Um, that's where I am right now. It's like the rest of my life is this um, get 
you know, diving deeper into my work as like becoming a healer, what, you know, the other things I'm supposed to be doing here, things that are only starting to get more interesting to me, even just magic. Cause I just kind of, you know, I dicked around with it most of my life and now I am pretty religious about it. You know, it's like part of every day. It's something I have to do. Um, but yeah, this, this past life stuff, I, I feel that I was gifted and you know what? because my past life was so accessible in this lifetime, I still spent years believing that this person, I just had a lot of stuff in common and I wouldn't own it. I wouldn't own it. It took my mom telling me this was, and my mom is not into woo. I mean, she's open and she's just like, I don't think she likes to think too deeply. You know, she had a pretty troubling life and she would rather just be happy and not go too deep. She's also a Taurus, which I think sometimes earth signs are just like, let's just not go there. But, um, she's the one who said to me, she's like, you're crazy if you don't think this was your past life. And so for my mom to be the one to like really kind of jar me with this information, it did, it, it was, it's almost like I didn't, I didn't want this to be my past life because, you know, like as I talk about today, it wasn't a super fun life. But it also, when I embraced it, I realized, oh, the t- my 20s where I just had a good time, my 20s where I wouldn't commit and had lots of sex and fun and drank and traveled and just, you know, everybody else. I look at my friends who've been in the same apartment for 10 years and they pay barely anything in rent and they just kept making more money and putting more roots down. And I have not done that in this lifetime whatsoever. But then after I got in touch with my last lifetime, I was like, well, yeah, because this lifetime was to kind of undo some of the damage from the last lifetime. Like this was the lifetime that was all about you instead of other people and, and really hard lessons. What's funny too. And I just want to put a trigger warning on this as well. Cause I'm going to talk about some stuff that, uh, a lot of people are going to have maybe get easily triggered, like some sexual abuse stuff. No, I'm not going to go into anything major, but, um, or details, but this is part of this life versus that life. Um, so to kick it off, I was in high school and we did this play. We did The Lottery by Shirley Jackson and I was the only character who was added to it. And if any of you know about The Lottery and you should cuz historically speaking it was it was pretty big. The New Yorker ran it as a short story and it was the most controversial thing they've ever run to date. Um, people wrote in letters, people called the office, people lost their minds over this story. Now, if you've never read it, you should go read it immediately after this because it's going to... Which I've never read it. Oh, right. It's so good. It's so good. Um, and uh, it's funny too because it's like, it's a, it's a the first thing you'll think is, what does it mean? Like after you read it to, to the end, it's just a big mind fuck of a story and so good um, and really timeless. Uh, so I was in the play as Belva and I was the voice of reason. I was the voice that does not exist in the story and the play just uh, on my, Oh, Oh, in my jar of reviews is the stone that I made for the, like we, we did set pieces and stuff. There's a tiny set piece on my altar from this play. I forgot about it. Cats actually almost destroyed it. And uh, so it's really ratty now, but still high school. I can't believe I still have that. So I went to NYU very briefly because it's expensive and it was, uh, 
it, it really kind of, I, I was in school to be an actress. I wanted to be a musical theater actress. And then I kept writing my own material and I kept getting recognized as a writer. And, and you know it's real when you're, um, when your actor friends who've been real cunty to you and competitive, when they see you perform something you wrote and then they're your friend. Like it's, 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 it really changed a lot of things for me when I was like, oh crap, I'm a writer. I'm not an actor. I mean, you can be both, but it didn't feel that. I felt like I was very rooted in being a writer. So I got into NYU, into um, Playwrights Horizons at NYU and uh, didn't know how I was gonna make this work because I didn't have any money. Um, and I was in the dorms over Washington Square. And what was crazy to my whole life, ever since I was a kid, I knew I was gonna go to New York City. Never been there, nobody ever took me on vacation. There's this, there's this little photo of me from, I think I'm 16 years old. Um, the local paper interviewed, they found my cousin and me, we'd just eaten lunch and we were, uh, we were uh, lying out on a dock getting sun on the river and they asked us what cities we'd like to visit and, and it's like this really bad picture of me and I'm a child and it's like uh, New York City, it's the best city in the world and someday I'm going to live there. Don't know where that came from, don't know where that came from, I just always knew I wanted to live in New York City and I went directly there, I'd never visited and I went right to a dorm room. And it blew my mind and I knew I was where I was supposed to be. And I'm like 21, 22, I think, when I got there. So I'm going to classes one day outside and I had no money. I don't know. This is this is how I know I have angels. I would walk around New York City with $5 in my pocket for the week. To, how do you make that work, you know? And I, had, I did have um, meals in the cafeteria on a card. I was so broke, though. My roommate was not, and she was very generous with me. So on holidays or, you know, Sundays or whenever the cafeteria was closed, I just couldn't eat that day. And she would, like, get us a pizza or whatever. She was really good to me. Um, but this one day, I see the lottery and other stories for sale on a table. These merchants, they sell books for a dollar. One of my biggest life regrets is not buying Spock's book of poetry. Leonard Nimoy wrote poetry. It's actually beautiful. and um, But I did buy this book for a dollar. And a dollar, now, when you have $5 for a week, a dollar is a lot of money. But I bought this book, and I didn't read it. I don't know why, because I was a voracious reader. And I carried it around with me for almost 10 years. And now, I, my 20s... Not, not stable, not at all stable. I lived on friends' couches. I uh, stayed, my best friend, um, Kunk, the Cuban uh, crazy, crazy energy, whatever she is, we shared a bed for a long time. I had so much fun, but I always had this book. I'd, I'd, have, I'd have just two suitcases and I'd have this book, never read it. And then one day, I was, I was 30 and I just had some transformative stuff happen. I went overseas and uh, really figured out, like, I got to buckle down. If I'm going to be a writer, I got to be a writer. Enough dicking around. And that day, I was temping at a hedge fund, as, as one does when they're not putting roots down anywhere. And I plucked that book from my shelf at last. And I didn't even think anything of it. Like, I've been carrying this around for almost a decade. Why don't I finally read it? It was just like, oh, I'll read that today. And... Um, Again, I had I was a minimalist, had very few things, and I still had this book. I read that whole book in one day. I could not stop. I couldn't stop. I couldn't do anything else. And um, the whole time I was reading it, I was like, 
the place she's writing from is the place that I write from. And it did feel like, it felt like another planet or a star. It felt very cosmic in this bizarre way. And that day, and, and I'm not like this. I'm also a really picky reader. I probably stop reading more books than I finish. I never really care about authors or celebrities. I, I don't really care. I started Googling her. That day was her birthday. And I now I'm making, I'm making big hedge fund temp money. So <laughs> I buy every book. I have read every book by her, every biography on her, everything. Things that like you have to find online to read that weren't published, like everything. Um, and I did that all pretty quickly. And here were some funny things that stood out. I immediately, when I saw her birthday, I was like, she's a Sagittarius like me. So I look her up, I do her planets, and um, it was, it was mind-blowing. She and I have the same sun, the same, the same moon, the same ascendant. We're, we're triple fire. We have all the same. Same Mercury, Venus, and Jupiter. I've never seen that. In all the years I've been doing other people, I've never seen that many planets. Um, she was born the 14th. I was born the 22nd of December. Uh, she, she died 10 years before I was born. And um, I, uh, I, was, I was like, wow, this is great. This, I can now put all my worth on this person who is the most prominent American Gothic writer, inspired Stephen King, Sylvia Plath, Neil Gaiman, basically everybody, anybody reads today. And uh, I started reading her biographies. And there's a story about her husband, Stanley. Stanley Hyman. Stanley wanted to be a writer, but he was a critic at best, and he was an editor. And Shirley was not. Shirley was an incredible writer, a natural writer. They met in college. She was a couple years older than he was. He was Jewish. He's Gemini. And her, she had a, a morbid little story published in the school paper. Stanley turned to his friend, his roommate, and he said, I'm going to marry this girl. Didn't know who she was. I had a story published in a Brooklyn paper. And I had an editor at the time who I'd never met. It was, a, it was a podcast site where they hired writers in New York to write stories. And I wrote like all my weird little stories about different places. And the idea was you could download the podcasts. And when you went to the places, you could listen to a writer tell a story about it. And he was my editor for that. And I did, I recorded them in my own voice and everything too. It was great. But he, I flirted with him. He flirted with me. I flirted back because it meant more work. And um, it also meant I was just, he would suggest edits and I would do whatever I wanted and he would let me. Um, he turned to his roommate. He read my story. I can't remember what it was in the Brooklyn paper. He turned to his roommate and he said, I'm going to get this girl. So you have Stanley turning to his roommate saying, I'm going to marry this, this girl. This guy says, I'm going to get this girl. Both Geminis, both Jewish. I'm, I'm older than him. Shirley was older than hers. Um, those two are born under the same planets as well. And uh, Stanley stalked Shirley to a party in um, March. I have this written down. It was March of whatever year. Uh, my ex stalked me to a party in March of uh, 2004, 
And uh, yeah, they came looking for us. And it was wild. This guy, this guy was like one of the biggest loves of my life. And um, there was a weird point of contention. He wanted to be a writer very badly. He was not. He is not a writer. He's a great critic. He's a decent editor. <laughs> I didn't take his edits. But um, um, Stanley was like a huge critic for big publications. He had a, an IQ of 180. Um, years later, I'm still telling these stories. What's, oh, so Stanley, Stanley cheated on Charlie like crazy. They moved, he moved her to New England, a place I fucking hate. And I am sorry, if you live in New England, I've got some history with it. I don't, I don't care for the place. It's too clicky. People need to open their hearts to, to diversity. And not all of New England, but I will go on the record and say, fuck Connecticut there. <laughs> I'm sorry if you live there. I'm deeply sorry if you live there. You should move. But um, I have never been to Vermont. I've never been to Maine. I, I, I'm open to it. Maybe those places are delightful. I mean, by all means, tell me some stuff to see. I, I will do it someday. So um, Shirley moves to Vermont. They live in this house. She has a bunch of babies. The whole time, Stanley is cheating on her. And Stanley kind of had this shitty attitude where he would, um, he just believed that he should be fucking whoever he wanted. And she just kind of went along with it and suffered. And it was 2009, the year that the big thing hit, according to the numerology episode we just did, when I caught my Jewish Gemini cheating on me. I believe he'd done it before. I just believe this was when I caught him. And it was a real crossroads because a big part of me wanted to work it out because it was such a rewarding relationship. We truly inspired and lifted each other up. But sometimes that's not enough. Like you can go do that on your own when somebody's breaking your heart and we'll probably do it again and again. Um, so I, I left him and it took me a while to realize to really feel it that this was my life like that Shirley Jackson life was my life and I won't say me when I talk about her because it, it is different influences it's a lot of different things but um there's a book that Stanley published after her death and the piece of shit dedicated it to his new bride Oh God! It's right. a, but it's a book about her. So Gemini. It's all Shirley's writing. It's, it's Shirley's that, writing. Yep, dedicated to the, dedicated the replacement. To yeah. The yeah. Woman. Right. So in the book, and and I read this, I read this when I was still with my ex. But this was before two thousand. It might have actually. I feel like this happened very closely actually to when he when he and I split up, but. She was so depressed at the end of her life. She died from amphetamines, which is funny because I actually love amphetamines. <laughs> in moderation, in moderation, I get my house clean on amphetamines. Not probably like three times a year do I take amphetamines, just I to mean, be clear. But I have enjoyed okay, them. I mean, yeah, I mean. To, to each her own, you know, whatever. I'm not an advocate, even I'm, though nobody was saying anything, I believe I died you, in a past you, life <laughs> from amphetamines. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I should be rethinking all this. Anyway, um, uh, chain smoked, poor health, um, uh, not happy. A husband who cheated with all his students, every what woman, was her, number? her friends. Shirley was a seven, and I came in an eleven. 
And he, I believe, was a four, and I believe my ex came in a seven. So the numerologically totally lines up as well. Um, but her her psychiatrist, who gave her amphetamines to make her happier, said, "You need to stop writing all this dark shit. You got to write your fantasy. Just go write your fantasy, even if it never gets published." So she was writing a book called Come Along With Me. And in the book, I haven't read it in a long time. It, she didn't finish writing it because she died in the middle of it. But this was her fantasy. Her fantasy was her husband would die and she would go to the city. I can't remember if it's San Francisco or New York, but Shirley wrote so much about New York City. It was so passionate about it. Just like It was like a magical place to her. She lived there briefly. I don't think she got what she wanted out of it. Um, as far as, as far as historians know, Stanley is probably the only man she ever slept with, but, um, they also believe she might've had tried, tried to have an open marriage with, um, the poet Dylan Thomas, who I am pretty sure is one of my very dear friends in this lifetime. This person, um, Dylan Thomas, right? Hell yeah. I mean, you can do worse. He was dreamy too. His young pictures. Yes. Um, I also, I, I think um, The Demon Lover uh, and other stories, The Lottery and The Demon Lover and other stories. The, the, she wrote about the devil and uh, they say she based it on Dylan Thomas, which um, her, her idea of the devil is great. Uh, everybody should read that collection of stories that goes with The Lottery. It's incredible. And I'm not, I'm not staking my claim on any of that stuff. What she wrote is influenced by different things. I, I do, you know, I hate The Haunting, or... Not Haunting of Hill House. What's the series? Is that what's yeah, called? Yeah, that's the series. But I it's think a, it's garbage. It's well, it makes so much like you. you and everybody likes it, to me. it, so maybe it's, I'm wrong. I mean, I talk about the Haunting of Hill House more than you're aware of, mm. um, because of like, it's just so fucking crazy to me. I maybe should watch it again, but I I live for the. It's book. obviously different and than the black book. and white film is brilliant too. Um, but yeah, the and those are close to the book. But my brother had me watch the the first episode of the series, and I was livid because you didn't give you permission to have the series made. Uh, well, is my the series should be good. Is all I'm gonna. I think it's just too. The series is very good. It's. I don't think it's nuanced. I just think it's like too in your face. And I don't want. I don't want to hear this bitch once say Shirley Jackson. She's shitting on a show I love. I don't care. I don't care. That is for you to love. Maybe my, my, I, and you know what? Maybe it's that I'm too familiar with all those works and they should be represented properly. I think that it's just way too vamped for the TV. And I've never read the book, but like when the it comes book to, is amazing. like the series doesn't, I don't feel like it's really hammering you over the head with anything. No. It's like it's, it's a slow, like drawn I out. I felt like it was so 1980s Stephen King movie remake. And I love Stephen King books, but and a lot also, of them like, suck. Also, I'm also, I mean, it's hard not to just be in love with like multiple actresses in that show. Oh, well, They're that's so true. Good that's a good just, point. like striking. It's just. I but, might give it another chance, but probably not. Well, so here's the crazy thing. The, the book, Come Along With Me, her fantasy is she gets widowed. She moves to the city, New York or San Francisco, can't remember. And she decides to be a tarot reader. Now, my 20s, I, I, I don't think I really embraced my, my abilities. I went through ups and downs with it. And uh, 
I I definitely embraced what I could do as a psychic much later, but I did work a lot of parties. I had a lot of people I read cards for and I made, I made pretty decent money doing that. And it was always word of mouth. People would just tell their event planner friend about me or whatever. So I was working as a tarot reader for like 10 years by the time I read this, that her dream is to go be a tarot card reader in the city. And that's what the book was supposed to be about was her work as a psychic. Shirley was also a witch and I'd been a witch as long as I can remember. And there's this moment. And I remember I was on the subway reading this book and in the book she says, and I wish I'd planned this better. I would read it right now to you guys. She says, I need, I knew I needed a new name. I needed to reinvent myself, but what name? My heart started racing and she starts going through names, Isabella, blah, 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 blah. And boom, Angela. She renamed herself Angela. My mom wasn't going to name me Angela. And Angela, numerologically speaking, I got it there, numerologically, maybe not push my luck. Uh, that's, that's a 22, which is the path that I'm currently on, which is like really syncs up with all my stuff. Um, when I was born, my mom intended to name me Holly, and then she took one look at me, and she's like, nope, she's an Angela, which, you know, I believe a lot of us get to name ourselves when because we're connected. We connect to our mothers, you know? Um, but I I read all of that, and I, uh, I remember when my ex cheated on me. It was so crazy. I had thrown him. His parents were divorcing, so he didn't get a good bar mitzvah as a child. So... I threw him this great, big, amazing werewolf bar mitzvah party at his favorite bar. All of his friends, we had people in werewolf masks and yarmulkes. Um, one of our friends pretended to be a rabbi and we did the whole thing where a boy becomes a man. Uh, it was amazing. I had commemorative shot glasses made with uh, his werewolf bar mitzvah date on there. Later, my... Venus and Scorpio would smash all those shot glasses throughout the apartment. And I hope he stepped in glass forever. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't care anymore. But I did. That was my intent when I did it. I wanted to uh, slice up his precious feet. I was so livid. But um, it was crazy because his best friend came home after the bar mitzvah to our place. It was a big day of drinking and having fun. Now, I had already known. And oh, I cannot stress this enough with people. Everybody's psychic. Your intuition, feelings in your gut. He was in Israel when he cheated on me on his friggin' birthright trip, of course. And um, I knew the moment it happened, I was with my mom. We had drove, we had driven out to Indiana to look at the house he and I rented where we were going to go live. I was going to leave Manhattan to go live in fucking Indiana with this guy who's getting his master's. And we were out there. We were in a motel. And I know the moment it happened, I felt it. It was like being stabbed in my heart. The moment he penetrated this woman, I believe I, I believe we were linked enough for me to feel it. I unraveled. And my mom was like, what is wrong? What is wrong? And I was like, he's cheating. He's cheating. He's cheating. He's cheating. I was not wrong. We get in a car at the airport. We flew back at the same time so we could meet up at JFK and drive home together. He gets in the car and he tries to kiss me. And I am like, who did you fuck? And man, you know, the look on his face, like... It was obvious. And then, and then we get home and he's like defensive and telling me he's had doubts. Well, yeah, because your dick was in someone else. Like that's really going to fuck your head up. So he's had doubts and, and he doesn't know if we should stay together. 
I go bonkers. I go bonkers. He's telling me I'm wrong. He didn't cheat on me. So now I feel insane, which uh, gaslighting. We didn't really have a word for it back then, I don't think. Um, the night of, and I, ha- I went through his bar mitzvah anyway, and I'm thinking maybe he's right. Maybe I am crazy, which, oh, never again. No. I mean, I just learned that in the last relationship I was with. When you're, when you're, Spidey sense tingles. You got to go down the rabbit hole on it. So the the next day after the big bar mitzvah, our friend asked if he could borrow my copy of the lottery and other stories. He had slept over and I tell him all my weird little Shirley Jackson similarities with our relationships. And I remember and at this time, I still am not like she's that's my past life. Um, I remember saying, you know, he was an editor. He was jealous of her writing. He wasn't as good of a writer as she was. And um, he cheated on her like crazy. And I remember the college friend, he was my friend too, really good friend. He turns to my ex and he goes, well, one of those things is true, huh? And he, he had no idea my ex had cheated, but he was joking like I was the better writer, which everybody knew. And my ex went, ha, ha, uh, and looked at his feet, and I was like, that motherfucker cheated. Stop doubting it. He cheated. And then he took a shower, and that was the big day we were going to talk about our relationship. And I could tell that that bar mitzvah had swayed him, and he was like, this is a good woman. I'm going to keep lying to her. I'm going to keep her around. He's in the shower, and lucky me, he left his laptop open. So I got in his Gmail, and he was sending many of our friends pictures of her in her bikini, she was very hot. I mean, it's it's always easier when it's like, well, she was hot. You know, <laughs> like for some reason it was easier. Um, but I did go crazy, uh, full blown at that point. And most of it was like for a week he had told me I was crazy. So all the crazy had been building up and it was bad. And I left and I went and stayed with my lesbian friends and we had a taco party, which we thought was so adorable that it was a taco party, but it was actually just strictly tacos and nobody was going down on each other. Um, but we had a taco party and we had all the other, my, uh, my other friends come over and it was just what a piece of shit, what a piece of shit, you know, what you really need. And then part of me really was like, but we have so much and he wanted to meet me. He wanted to talk it out and see if we could repair whatnot, whatever. And he was sort of half-hearted about it. It wasn't enough. And I don't think it would have been good anyway, but um, I just kept thinking about sad, surely chain smoking, overweight in a moo moo, desperate to be loved by this man. And this is another thing. I have read everything about her. I can never remember her children. I, well, you know what I'm saying that? And I, I've never brought myself to read the, the books she wrote about her children. I've never, those are the only two things I've never read. And I think a lot of that is because, and, and this was before I even embraced it as my past life, but I think a lot of it is a shame I have that I'm probably caring from leaving those children. I don't know. I, you know what? I, I don't really know. They're still alive. And um, I think about them. Like, what would it be like if I, there's a recording one of them did about her, one of her sons. I'm saying one of her sons, there might be only one son. I, I don't remember. Um, but I, I, uh, where was I going with this? Oh, but I think about her and these children that she gave this man and he, he couldn't like just be hers. And it, it broke my heart because 
in his in this past life, Stanley Hyman, piece of shit Stanley Hyman, he with his perfect IQ. And, you know, this is where the, I have friends who are like, well, sometimes the aliens are coming here to learn compassion from us. And sometimes it's this and that. And we when you're too smart, sometimes you lose your compassion. Uh, Stanley did not believe women could be raped. Stanley believed a woman would eventually get into it. She couldn't help it. When I read that, I wanted to burn down everything. I was so mad. I hate him. I hate Stanley. And that is not who I was with. I was with a more evolved version of Stanley. I absolutely believe that is Stanley. The guy I was with was Stanley. Very smart. He, I, oh, oh God, this was awful too. Shirley would um, read Stanley's journals and sometimes he showed her stuff. He would write about fucking her friends. And also, way to go, friends. I hope none of you are in my soul cluster these days, you pieces of shit. That's, her friends fucked this guy. And, when I was living with my ex, he kept journals. He did not think I was reading. I, I mean, it only took one time. I read it. We had our desks pushed together so we could face each other while we wrote. So romantic. That worked out. And um, <laughs> <laughs> he left his journal out. And uh, <laughs> it was a day I'd taken amphetamines. Uh, but also, this was the thing, too. I stayed so skinny with him. I had to stay skinny. I had to keep him. And I don't know what. Never had that with another man, ever. But with him, I had to be perfect to keep him. I knew this. I knew this. And I was on um, ephedra, ephedra. Or whatever idea of perfect that yes, was. Yes, thank you. Not not actually perfect yeah. at all. But um, I was on an amphetamine that day. And so you're already like kind of got one foot in a crazy world or both feet sometimes. And I read his journal and the whole journal is like ugh, no deep thinking, no deep thoughts, no, no epiphanies. And he was very smart. My latest crush, the girl at the coffee shop I'd like to fuck. Oh, this is something. Oh, God, I'm so mad thinking about this. Well, obviously, I'm still working through things. He wanted a woman with an ass so small it would fit in the palm of your hand. What? Yeah. What is that? Um, he How wanted, big was his hand? Uh, he was six foot one, so he had a fairly large hand. But that's fucking, right? That's like pedophilia. That's a person who that's can't sit woman. on a toilet without Thank falling you. through. Thank you. And, and my ass was small. And I'm like, a normal, normal, a normal ass, not a freakishly small ass, which was what he wanted. Hey. Another time? Thank you. It's, this is his journal? This is his journal. This sounds like... His deep thoughts yeah. are all about... Now, listen, freaking, I'm not trying to shame someone for just like free, being though. honest about like their whatever desires. their desires right. or whatever are, you know, but like... This is like your journal, like, I have to get this onto paper. Yep, yep. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This is why one person in the relationship wrote for The New Yorker and the other critiqued things that were in The New Yorker. So another thing he wrote in his journal, he started volunteering. He was always trying to show, oh, these guys, I just dated one. They love to show you how, like, woke they are. They're going to volunteer. They're going to do this stuff. They're never going to date multiple women at once. They're good guys. They're Feminists. This motherfucker is volunteering among old, the elderly. I don't remember what it was. It was like a home or something. Writes about the woman he met there. And uh, that was kind of the only reason he was doing it. And this one night he wrote, uh, when I first met her, she was wearing a dress. So 
you really don't know what's going on under there until they're wearing jeans. You believe this? I almost left him after I read this journal. And the way he put it, because, you know, we're Gemini and we're Sag. We're the only opposites of the Zodiac that really love each other and appreciate the different perspective. And he pitches it to me, probably very much the way he pitched the open relationship in our past life, where he says... Um, you know, it's just a fantasy. It's not real. This is a fantasy I write. I don't even... Oh, oh, he said He said the, the first woman he lost his virginity to, he had a relationship with her. And she was very small, very petite little woman. I've seen photos of her. And he said, she had that body type. And I didn't want to stay with it. It really... It, this wasn't... This isn't real for me. And that was... That was some, I totally forgot about all this still just now. That really resonated with me. And I was like, well, right. Yeah. He pursued me... And he loses his mind over my body. I mean, he, he did. But um, the journal was a big problem. And meanwhile, and he, he was like, I can't believe you would read my personal thoughts. And I'm like, really, motherfucker? You got me so twisted up because he was, always, he was such a huge flirt. And this was something I do not like. I know I have plenty of friends that worked for. He and I had this weird shit where we had to flirt with other people and tell each other about it. And that was initiated by him. He... He got jealous. I got very jealous. He, he wasn't like, let's fuck other people. But I would walk into a bar and he was, he, I thought he was, pre, he, was, he was pretty good looking. I would walk into a bar, meet him and his friends there. And I could see the reaction. I could feel it from the bartender, from a woman at the bar. He would have to stop flirting with her. But I would see her react to me and I'd be like, oh, he was just flirting with her. Oh, yeah, that's, that's our thing. I hated it. And because I didn't have this person whose whole being was d devoted to me, I really turned on my own body. I really turned on myself. And when I, when I found out, I, I thought about Shirley and I said, not me. And it's crazy because like that was me, but it took a while to accept it. Her life was not good. Her mother was so cruel to her. Her mother uh, wrote her one time and said, I can't believe you let people photograph you and you look like this. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? And I remember, and my mom is a very kind, compassionate, loving human being. And she was raised at a time when, you know, like being skinny was all a woman could be, you know, and not, not true entirely, but that was a big mindset for her. And she starved herself a lot. And I remember... When I was a teenager, she would always, I'd try stuff on in a dressing room, I'd come out and she'd say, oh, it looks so cute. You know what would make it look cuter? If you lost five pounds. Sometimes it was 10 pounds. And she did it thinking it would help my life be better. She did not do it to be cruel. And I was in college when she said it to me for the last time and I just came unhinged and I was like, never say that to me again, it hurts so bad. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Never did again. From then on, it was she flipped the script. It was always, oh, nobody's gonna look better in that than you. Then it was like pure love. And you know what would look even better? <laughs> if you put on like a ten more pounds. <laughs> yes, yes. Too skinny. Too skinny. Never actually heard that, but. <laughs> and there was a time I was too skinny, but um, yeah, I got here and I, I think I worked out my body issues pretty quickly. Like even now, even when I'm a little upweight, which for sure I am after going into England for a month and eating whatever I wanted, they're upweight from according to my clothes, according to like the clothes that fit. I still walk around knowing my power, being madly in love with myself, 
This was not the case though. And this is something I had to achieve in this lifetime. Um, the other things too, like the, the, I have, it was crazy because I have written some really dark things. Like I, I am technically a best selling author. Did you know that I'm a best selling author? I wrote this collection of essays about working at Disney World and I just threw it up on Amazon. It has errors. It has spelling errors. I just put it on back when everybody was self-publishing. I lived off that thing for like a year. What? Yeah. Real weird, right? People hate it. People hate it for different reasons. Also because Disney people get a little culty. Um, people called me a liar. I'm rewriting it right now because I'm like, well, this is a calling card. I've gotten ghostwriting jobs out of this. Um, I have a story I wrote before I embraced the Shirley Jackson stuff called P's and Q's. It should have won this very big literary competition in Manhattan. It didn't because the audience laughed more at a story about fucking her, a girl fucking her brother. I'm a little bitter about that. Here's the thing. When I, when I lose to somebody who's better than me, I'm like, that is, that's the level I want to be. This writer was not better than me. Come at me. Come at me if you know what I'm talking about. That story Pales in comparison to the one I wrote. <laughs> I Sorry if I'm yelling. I did yell. But it's a very specific thing really to like, come at me. Like, like <laughs> I know the short story she's talking about. The year was 2007. Yeah, somebody like, might. No, somebody, somebody might. might. Okay, but somebody. I honestly believe, I know for a fact, because also the editor of The New Yorker who was there, <laughs> that's some full circle shit I didn't even realize. Editor of The New Yorker wrote me a private email and asked about the novel, asked me if I, if it was a part of a novel and I was like, it can be. And, um, I didn't, I, I have not had follow through. I have not had follow through in this lifetime. And I honestly have always felt that if I want to be a successful writer, it's right at my fingertips, whatever I want writer wise, I could be. And why would I feel that way? Why am I so confident about my writing? I think it's, I can trace it right back to my last lifetime. I came back so quickly. I came back 10 years after I died. And I'm not totally sure why that is because, and what's crazy, so many of my soulmates are roughly seven years younger than I am. I think I wasn't supposed to come back so quickly. I do have plenty of people here. I mean, a lot of them are younger, but, um, I needed to get right back in. And I, I never had, I've never felt like I have anything to prove with my writing. I think my writing stands alone. I, I dropped out of NYU because my instructors were like, you don't even need to be here. So uh, they told me that. One of them uh, offered me a, the scholarship. NYU does not, maybe it's different now, but they didn't have a full scholarship, only partial. It was like a million. I'm not kidding. It's, it was like a million dollars to go there. My One of my best friends graduated. She spent $750,000 on an education that you don't even need if you're going to be a performer. Writers don't even need to go to school. Honestly, I still feel that way. Um, I think college is great. I think it's a wonderful resource to shape a human. But I think if you're a creative, what are they going to teach you? If anything, you lose your voice. I well, with the exception of, you know, getting like face-to-face -face feedback that is on important. your writing. I think, I mean, because I... Workshops are way cheaper, though. Because I would never had had that in writing until I was in college for writing. Because mm. I, I, I was a theater major who ended up graduating later from a different school with creative writing. Oh, that's interesting. And so I'd never had had the, like the feedback when it came to like my writing, like to my face. Yeah. Roses and thorns, but like not in the theater aspect, but in the writing aspect. That's crazy. I mean, I never thought about it like that. I, you know what? I didn't get a lot of good feedback. 
I, uh, you know what? It, yeah, I mean, but that's the that's the catch. I mean, yeah, is it good there, feedback? There's still there's still you know an acting I really loved. Oh, and this is funny too. Shirley wrote in one of her diaries, "I want to be an actress, a writer, or uh, a lawyer, an attorney." She said, and. Uh, a couple of years ago, I really, I read this later, but I was like, you know, if I come back, I want to be an attorney. I want to like fight for civil rights. I want to fight for animal rights. I go down really great wormholes and I have great, I, I really think I'm good at this. Really, I see a lot of different sides of things. And I started saying this to my ex that if I come back again, I really want to go to law school. And then I read in her journal, uh, uh, an actress, a writer, an attorney in that order. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> next time. And being an actor is so fun. But I think my capacity got too big for that where I want to affect more people in it. But, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of actors doing amazing work. They're acting and they're changing the world. Um, but that was crazy to me too. Um, I, I also, so some, <laughs> I want to follow up trigger warnings. Um, Shirley, this was a lot of historians. She wrote, she touched on sexual abuse in Hangs a Man. There, oh my God, in Hangs a Man, man, it's a hard book to read. It's kind of Capote, Other Voices, Other Rooms. Oh, and this is funny. Capote's one of my most favorite writers of all time. Shirley and Capote kept getting compared to each other when she was alive. And they say she hated him, but that could just be because of the comparison. Because she's triple fire. She doesn't want to be compared to anybody. Um, but in Hangs a Man, there's a moment where the the female, the the person we follow, she is possibly molested or something by a family friend. It's just kind of touched on. And then she has this intense female relationship, which were the only kind I knew. There surely had very intense female relationships too, where you're like, you read these things between I mean, these were these were basically as intense. The relationships I've had have been intense as they are with men, and they were not sexual with these women. Um, Shirley had a lot of that too, but um, she also wrote a book called uh, "The Bird's Nest" about multiple personalities. One of the first plays I ever wrote, and I mean, I was being published before I was old enough to drive. I won and I won a bunch of awards for two plays I wrote when I was a kid, and. Um, the the next play I wrote when I was a teenager was about multiple personalities. That was kind of the reveal. All these women in prison or like a, a psychiatric ward or something. You find out it's all the same woman, like <laughs> kind of cliche, but it was good. And there, and I had a lot of uh, producers interested in it and I did not follow through, had fun to be had. I lived in Manhattan for 16 years. I just wanted to have a good time. I didn't want to, I, I could not sit down and write, which was also a problem she had sometimes. Um, I went through an agoraphobic phase, didn't leave the house for weeks. Uh, that was something she was very susceptible to. Um, I remember staying in a pair of pajamas for two weeks at one point. I was with the wrong partner. I did write a screenplay that Ricky Schroeder almost produced and had some real bad drama about that, but whatever. I, I don't care. I just don't care. Like I wrote it. It was great. We did some readings. doesn't matter anymore. But, um, she, so she wrote, she wrote this book. Uh, the bird's nest and as many people know sexual abuse is like the only thing that can cause disjointed personalities which now they say is not even a real thing or there there's different opinions about this people have historians have explored who abused Shirley Jackson the only person they could come up with was this uncle and her children 
are very adamant about, she would tell funny stories about him. She obviously loved this uncle. He did not, they believe her children did not think he abused her at all. Um, but she was fascinated with it. And when I made my contract for this lifetime, and this is something, if any of you reach out to Sarah Goff, if you want to know what your contract is, I, this, is something, this is something I'd love to get to at some point in my life, be able to see what Sarah can see as far as contracts. I knew my contract was tied to the abuse I've endured as a child and as an adult. Um, Sarah very clearly, she even saw, when I was a child, I was sexually abused for two years of my life by an uncle, by a sociopath. Um, I blocked, I blacked out. I blacked out for most of it. I can verbatim tell you the first time, verbatim. Um, but after that, I don't, I don't remember any. I remember the initiation. I remember him starting and then that was it. That I go, I go away. Um, that was part of my, and I, I, I knew it was part of my contract. I also knew later I have, um, I've been date raped. Um, I've been, I've been assaulted so many times uh, on the subway. I had to, I almost kicked a man to death on the subway. I legitimately, he, he looked like he, the Unabomber. He tried to rape me in broad daylight in front of everybody and I beat his fucking ass. And, and I don't know that, um, <laughs> I, I really was, I was really in this place where I was like, why me? Why so much me? And Sarah was working with me and I, I asked her, is my abuse tied to my contract? Because it's way more, way more than anyone I've ever met. You know, like when I read these stories about these women kept in basements, I'm like, oh, there, that's worse. But it is, it's a fucked up thing to, to have comparison on ever. Sarah saw my contract and she doesn't even know most of this. She, she saw my uncle and she told me that's not even my damage in this life. She said, uh, you blacked out, you protected yourself. You, you, you've already healed from all that, which I do believe. Um, but she said during my contract, I was super excited and she could see all my people around me trying to talk me out of it. And she said, I was all, no, it'll be great. I'm going to have sex with everyone. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, and I took on, and this is funny because somebody else, uh, my psychic Doreen had told me recently that I took on so much in this lifetime, so much more than just about anybody should ever read. Like I took on the 11 life path, the 22 life path. Like I'm doing all this work. And, um, I think it's because my last lifetime, I, I don't feel that I got to experience as much. But Sarah said she could see them trying to talk me out of it. And she said, you just didn't think of it, though, as abuse. You saw it as experience and as sex. And your contract is self-respect. And you wanted to go through all this and come out respecting yourself. And man, I mean, my my dad had this creepy friend who would sexualize me before I was like, anybody I just started like t barely turning into a woman and they would de like degrade me and talk about my body and just real fucking freaks uh, talking to a little girl like that but this was all my work and as you can probably tell because oh, I'm I sound pretty mad I'm pretty flustered thinking about it now I look at her outside of me like that child I had to raise that child I had to foster that child and 
build her up after people tore her down. And I feel that way. But now this is what walks around. Like now I have nothing but self-respect. And whenever I honor that contract, when somebody tries to talk me down, because I still work. I mean, this is how I make most of my money is ghostwriting for other people. And psychic stuff is actually like my pleasure job. That's the thing I do for fun. But when somebody tries to like just yesterday I had some guy wants me to rewrite a script well here's my price and he's like well we're negotiating with another writer that's kind of high I don't reply well what do you think of this I don't reply because I don't reply right away because I don't want them to think I need it I don't want to be eager because then they'll fucking talk you down and then he writes me back and he's like we've gone with the other writer hope we work with you again and I'm like fine because I'm not coming down on my price because my contract is self-respect. And it took me a long time to see that. But whenever I honor it and I do right by that contract, everything else falls into place. I do believe that, and I hate saying this because there are people who are hurting and they're not, they're not finding their peace with it. And I hurt for a long time over my dad and his abuse. But, and I, the, my dad was physically abusive with us. He did not, he didn't, he never, sexually assaulted me except verbally and when you call a 10 year old a whore like what do you think that is you pervert wait how do you see a whore in a child you know this was work that that took a lot but as soon as I identified what it was it was easy it was easy to I mean I still do the the work with my my dad and I believe when he dies and he comes at me as a spirit, which is work I just recently did with my grandfather who passed away, that's when I'll really heal. When my dad dies and comes at me, that's when we do the work. I'm not doing it with him in this body and this life and the ego brain he has as a Sagittarius man. Um, I'm telling you guys this though, because I know there are so many people like me. There are men who have endured the same thing. This is not just women, though there's way more women. The biggest thing is not necessarily identifying your past life. I think that that's already in us. The biggest thing is finding out your contract because all my stuff, all my, my hardships and pain and confusion comes down to respecting myself. One of my best friends, her contract is self-esteem and it looks just a little bit different from mine. It's, it, you can see it. Like when you, when you learn this about people, and yourself, you can fill the void. You, it's like you don't fill the void. You close the wound. And then you don't have to binge eat. You don't have to chain smoke or drink too much or do drugs. Like Then those things can just be fun, you know? Then it's fun to occasionally do those things. And you make it, you make it not part of your, your whole. But this was, this was stuff that I only recently got into and I'm also I'm not thrilled about being Shirley Jackson that was a miserable fucking life I got no I got no royalties I'm also in a world where my children I left are still in like and I'm I feel when I when I hear it like that when I say it whenever I touch on it I'm not thrilled about that I, I, I mean thrilled is the wrong word I'm not even okay with it like it's it's hard to think about that that there are people here who I am connected to, but I can't talk to about this. I can't, I can't call these people and say, Hey, I was your mom. You want to work stuff out? I don't remember. You can tell me how I fucked up. What? How, how do you even, that's not even useful to anybody. Yeah. That's not a conversation. You can just, Hey, I know this is going to sound crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
But hear me out. (laughs) Can you imagine? They probably get plenty of fucking creeps and weirdos anyway. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think when it comes to trying to understand past lives, I mean, a lot of people are, you know, I mean, the main ways that people kind of go down these rabbit holes is like through like past life hypnosis or they have a psychic uh, who they trust who tells them you know uh, hey I've got some information about yeah. who you were in a past and life and not just a psychic but an actual healer like Sarah is an actual healer and that was that she and you know I talked about therapy in our last episode therapy was great Therapy, you know, people should have it a little bit. But man, when you work with a shaman, you're like, therapy who? I, oh, you saw times I blacked out and how that's actually not where I need to be spending my energy healing. Like, that's bizarre. She saw my parents so clearly. She used adjectives I've never said out loud, but have held in my heart about my parents and told me how to heal. And it's not, and this is what Sarah will always remind people. You did the work. You're doing the work. I just told you, and she, and she won't even take credit like for coming up with the work. She'll be like, your guides told me. My guides told me. These otherworldly angels told me how you can heal yourself. But she gives all the power to you. And I think that's an important aspect of, you know, I mean, you can't let someone else heal you in the way that it's like, how are you supposed to feel? Especially when you're talking about yourself and identity and things like it's one thing to have a doctor, like fix your arm or a broken bone or something like that. Yeah. That's different. Um, we're talking about intrinsically what is tied to our identities and, you know, and, and moving forward into other lives and things like that. So it's all, it all sounds so like, you know, I don't, I don't know what the, like in a superficial way, it's all like, Ooh, a past life. This is who you were. And, yeah. you know, but like when you get down to it, it's like, well, what, what are the core issues here going into the work that needs to be done? And yeah, you know, the lessons that can be learned and, well, and, and like knowing, the pain really that is stemming from all of it. Yes. And it's even like why orphans are very, you know, and I've, I've had a lot of people in my life who were adopted and they're, that, you know, I've seen different, them do different work because when you don't know your origin story, that that is a that's a hole. You know, there's a hole in your story, and I don't necessarily believe. I think this is why our brains get scrambled for the most part, so we don't really remember that past life. Um, it's funny. I I journeyed. I went um, past life regression. I tried to journey with, um, I didn't tell her. Um, my friend Kat in Casadega does amazing journeying work. And you know what? If you don't see shit, she just says, okay, fine. I'll just give you a regular reading or you can have your money back. Like s- such a straight shooter. I love her. But we journeyed and I didn't tell her any of this. When I, when I first was like, I'm fucking Shirley Jackson and this has got to be dealt with now. I went and, and, um, it's really cool. They, you would love it, Ryan. They have you on this table. It's like, kind of like a massage table. And there's this weird light overhead. And it's all these crystals wired together. So the light comes through the crystals and hits your body. And I think they're chakra crystals maybe for your, for your chakras. But Kat sits there and holds your hand. And she puts you in a light hypnosis. And um, the first place I took us to is the old house in Vermont. And it doesn't look the same. 
and the staircase we were like in the attic first which is crazy because i think i've i think i've journeyed there astral projected there before um because the attic felt like something i'd seen before i've never seen the inside of this house except when i journeyed with her and we're going down the stairs and i was so clunky and freaked out that um, she told me to be a cat. She's like, but you can't move very well here. Be a, become a cat. And what's crazy, Shirley had 11 cats. She said they were all her familiars. I mean, pff, I wish. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, I got one out of four myself. But um, she, uh, she, she, it was funny because she had no idea. Shirley Jackson, cat had no idea. And she's like, turn into a cat. And um, we're going downstairs and I see this new kitchen. And I'm like, this isn't my house. And... Uh, I'm not telling her anything. And she said, um, I think we're in New England. And I said, yeah, we're definitely in New England. And I didn't tell her. I didn't tell her. And then we just went all over after that. But I was trying to get back to see that life through. Because then we did go to some other past lives of mine that were also pretty disturbing. But um, um, I was trying to see the children. I was trying to see my my husband. I was trying to see like the books. There was, n I couldn't see, I couldn't get to it. And I think part of it is it's too soon. It's blocked. I don't need to see all that. Um, I wanted to uh, tell you though too, this really, Philip K. Dick, who w was a little bonkers, um, but he believed he had many past lives and the keys to unlocking these past lives, he believed, were hidden throughout his novels. Like what he would write he would channel from his past life. And um, I haven't done a lot of it, but I do have a couple really dark stories I wrote way before. I mean, most of what I wrote growing up was some dark, weird stuff. I have, I just asked my mom because I, I want to get my stuff out of storage. I want to like really get settled here in LA. And um, I have all these boxes, like tons of journals from childhood. I wrote and I kept various journals at the same time. And then I'm reading this, this book about Shirley's journals that was, that was published recently. She kept, the, she kept different journals and different voices. At the, all these journals going at the same time. I didn't know anybody else who wrote in a diary. None of my friends did. Like that's kind of a lost, lost, uh, do we call it an art? I don't know. It's lost form of therapy. Um, what else was really crazy? I want a butt that fits in the palm of my hand. <laughs> Can you believe him? <laughs> that's what he's writing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, that's still to me, that's just so crazy. Yeah. Like, if I'm trying to think, too, like, when it comes to, like, are we doing a magic moment for this one? We can. Well, um, I don't know. It's, I, wanna, I wanted to also say, though, this funny thing. My ex-husband, my second husband, bought a signed Shirley Jackson book, which was a fortune. He found an autographed Shirley Jackson and I, I opened it on Christmas morning. And I knew this thing was like a grand. And I open it and I see this this autograph and I'm like, what a fucking waste. Like, what a waste of money. I don't need this. Sign this right now. Like, <laughs> I really felt that way. But I had to, I had to feign um, enthusiasm for this purpose. She was quite prolific as a writer. She was. Um, wow. I mean, yeah. There's, uh, I'm looking at photos of her now. I think that's why I've been more folk. And I, I, I do love to write. I love to write very specific things, though. Ghostwriting is kind of hard when it's not something I'm passionate about, but it's great money. Um, and people find my stuff. A lot of people have just read stuff I wrote and reached out to me about ghostwriting. Like, they see it on my website. and it's, just, it's been bizarre how easily it comes to me. It came to her this easily. Hmm. 
She she did not have to work hard. She was published everywhere all the time, whatever she wanted. I mean, she she was the breadwinner for that family. And I'll say I've always out earned my my the men in my life. I've always out earned them, and not because I I think that I am very blessed too. I think that um, I think I've been really lucky as far as work coming to me, even though I have not been as ambitious about finding it. But yeah, I think that was another problem Stanley had is she was so am or not ambitious. She was so talented she was the breadwinner now i'm looking at photos of dylan thomas and i uh, know he's kind of dreamy the young ones yeah and i got- hope that they had sex oh you know what else was great she used to just disappear she'd walk out of the house go get a motel for the weekend and just binge read mystery novels and when i was a kid there was a summer i read every single agatha christie novel in one summer <laughs> which what also what kid wants to read a bunch of Agatha Christie. That is weird. That's so weird. <laughs> That's not. I still love Agatha Christie. Yeah, so I mean, if you're out there and you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, <laughs> you know, you've had like some kind of strong connection to a person from the past. I mean, because that's like the knock on like past life things that like skeptics always talk about like oh every person i met was cleopatra in a past life of course you were. Yeah. Or you were some king or queen or whatever. Oh, I always hear that too. Um yeah. So, like, that's the knock on it Um, when, like, you know, because I don't know how many people have met, you know, I I don't know. I've never, like, surveyed a thousand people to say, who were you in a past life? And then looked like, oh, like, 150 of them say they're the same person. Yeah. It's never, I've never done something like that. But um, typically when you hear people talk about past lives, it is, it's something very nondescript as Mm -hmm. far as, like, oh, it's like many lives, many masters is the name of that book is indicative of this person had so many lives where they were a servant. Yeah. Uh, and they had so many, like they had many lives, but they've had many masters like yeah. where they were like these, you know, they were subjugated and all these, like so many, it's like, there's no glamor. No. In most of these lives. It's such a small and amount And this one of, too. I mean, yeah. people, uh, and you know, I'm, I'm, Weird about who I say, <laughs> you know, I'm walking around saying crazy shit all the time. There's cra- crazy shit all the time. And this one is hard because I assume people think, oh, she wishes. But I don't. If you read about Shirley's life, nobody wants that life. You didn't get any glamour. You got shamed. You were not like, and I say you because I can't say, I can't make it I, even though I absolutely 100% believe I was Shirley Jackson. Um, it's just too weird because I don't feel, I don't, you know, it's, it's still, there's still distance between it. But um, the the shitty mother, she had a shitty grandmother. I had a shitty grandmother. Uh, privacy was not respected. The mother I have in this lifetime, oh, I'm so lucky. I'm so lucky because, you know, I had that really piece of shit father. Terrible human being. Not good at anything, really. Not anything. And then just yesterday, I spent a bunch of time with my mechanic and he was showing me stuff about my truck and I went to AutoZone and came back and bought parts and he showed me how to do it. And he's like, I mean, you could do this. You could just, I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I was thinking it reminded me back when I had a dad and he would show me stuff like this. He was pretty mechanically inclined. I'm not sure if he was actually good at it, but he, he could, and I've always had a knack for taking things apart and putting them back together there. We lived in this haunted house in Pittsburgh, shocking. And, um, something surged through the house like a this was not the troll this was something else um everybody's electronics just like 
got jammed. It was really weird. And I had one of those, remember the, the CD players where it's like five CDs and then they can cycle through, you can program it. Um, mine got jammed and I didn't have any money. So I took it all apart and fixed it and put it back together. But I never would have known that I could do that if I hadn't been raised by someone I watched doing it. But I was thinking back yesterday when I was hanging out with this mechanic, really nice guy. I went in for an emissions test and he got all up in my truck and was showing me stuff. And um, I thought, man, my dad really missed out. What a dumbass. Like, I really felt like you've lost me. Like, you're no prize. I'm the prize. You blew it. And now you're going to die alone because nobody likes you except he's still friends with his creeper friend. They are, I mean, who knows what that was. It was a little homoerotic, to be honest with you. Um, they're Sag and Gemini, shocking. Um, but yeah, I feel like, and this is something too that I want to, I really am focusing on at this stage of my life. When I think about my dad, and I have to, because he was a huge part of who shaped me and put rage inside of me, rage that I did not come here with. When I think about him, I really try to remember the good stuff. Like, he loved animals. He wasn't good at taking them to the vet or caring for them. But he, he did expose me to a lot of different animals. We had a lot of pets. I wish that they had better circumstances. Um, you know, even like uh, trigger warning on this too but um my my sociopathic uncle I didn't tell anybody he did that to me until I was an adult and um it was that was very difficult because my family really wanted to normalize it and keep him in their lives and I have to say whenever I think of him and I get enraged he drowned one of my cats that I've had dreams where I am stabbing him to death my favorite dream because and I know how this sounds he was like a scarecrow but it was his face and I stabbed him to death while my whole family watched I jumped on him in his lap and I just stab 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 till he was dead and then I threw the knife down and I said who's gonna help me bury this motherfucker and they all turned their backs and I dragged his um weird scarecrow carcass out to the garden and I dug a hole and I buried him. And I woke up and I was like, yeah, that's done. I'm done with that. That was awesome. <laughs> it was so good. See, like, like, you know, <laughs> you know, cleaning your hands off. Like, well. Yeah. And I think, I think probably in my dream, because our brain scrambled stuff, I probably did actually stab a human. But then my brain scrambled it so I'd only remember what a knife going into a scarecrow felt like. Which is fine. I'll settle for that. Yeah. That's cool, brain. Yeah. You know best. Well, I mean, if you need to make any, uh, you know, uh, well, I'm not going to suggest, uh, I was going to say voodoo dolls. Oh, um, we don't need to go that way with no. it, but, um, okay. Well, if people are interested, I mean, there's a lot to be covered here. Yeah. I mean, we've covered a lot of emotional ground and, um, I'm, yeah. And just a lot of like ground in general when it comes to like past lives, but, um, you know, if people are finding themselves connected to someone uh, or interested in this, I would recommend finding a good, you know, past life hypnotist. Yeah. Um, email. Email. Yeah. Or email Sarah for because she saw some stuff in one of our friends, some some sexual abuse that this person had covered up and didn't know it was it was resulting in terrible things It had manifested as an illness. It was it was really bad. And Sarah pulled it out and 
And when you hear something like that, you're like, or did somebody tell her something? And then she believed, no, she remembered. It all came back as an adult. And sometimes illnesses, like, I don't want to tell anybody you chose that pain to make you a better person. You made a contract to do that before you got here. That's for people to decide yeah, on their own if yeah. they want to, if they want to own that or like have that kind of point of view about it. Exactly. And that's where it becomes problematic. Yes. And sometimes that's something when you do go looking for this stuff, you might not like hearing because you're, you know, it, it, it is, it's very problematic and, and it's going to be different for everybody. You know, I'm on the other side of my damage now, but I know if someone had said that to me back in the day, I would have been like, fuck you, you know? I, and I, to be clear, I don't think, um, even if like you understand that you're going into life with a contract to like experience, you know, hardships and pain and abuse and things like that, there's still a person involved on the other side who is making a willful decision to hurt you like it doesn't just it doesn't just you know abscond them of any responsibility they they willingly made a choice they didn't have they had a choice and they made the choice to abuse you yeah yes and you didn't say you didn't walk up to somebody and be like hey you know what in this life i i need to be abused so uh will you please abuse me follow up on you're not asking for it no no you're not asking for it in any way no and another person is still 100% 100% responsible for doing it. Yes. Yeah. And I have to say too, um, I was actually messaging with somebody recently and she revealed, uh, the, she revealed some stuff about what happened to her as a child. And I was like, yeah, me too, which me too. And um, I said, but I pity the motherfucker who comes at us now. I mean, you guys... That, that dude had to crawl off the subway after I kicked him in his knees and dick. I, I, what? You know, there's, there's, there's a monster in me now, and it's a good monster, but there's like a warrior in me that maybe I didn't come here with, and maybe I had to earn her. But, man, I, I just, I have found my way, not to peace, I've maybe a little bit, but I have found my way to, I believe, what I came here to find. And there's, there, it's hard work. It's, I'm still not done with it. I never will be. But if anybody, I know there are so many people like me with this story. And it, it takes different shape. It takes a lot of different shape for different people. And I know saying in my last life, I probably wasn't assaulted or molested. And then that was like, well, let's get that done in a lifetime. Fucking sucks if that's what we decide sometimes but and maybe not decide I don't know I don't really know I don't know what the path was to that but I hope everybody can find not necessarily their past life but their peace and break the patterns and learn from your mistakes and get those wounds healed so they're not just black holes you throw bullshit into stuff that doesn't serve you it's I mean I know I'm probably going to get some messages after this. Feel free. I've, I've just, I think strength in numbers, you know, as we've all learned. Me too. Me too. You know? I mean, who doesn't, who can't say me too? It's like, this is the, not that the human race is garbage because there are plenty of us who t- break the cycle. Do you know child molesters are usually made? I'm not a child molester. So it broke, it ended with me. I know other people have said that to me too, where, 
they were beaten by their father and they would never do that to their child. And they say it ended with me. It ended here. I remember an ex-boyfriend saying that to me. It ended here and pointing at his chest. Really powerful. Yeah. So, you know, it's all about empowerment. Yeah. Take care of those little kids in you. Take care of the one that you came here as and the other ones that you discover. Got to hold on to them, too. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So thanks for listening to uh, probably our, you know, a heavy episode. Very heavy. Uh, this is where the magic happens dot com. Uh, Rising on Instagram. Uh, Lovable on Instagram. Where magic happens on Instagram. Uh, yeah. So, you know, find, we're on the Internet. You can find us. Uh, so thanks again for listening. We really appreciate you. And thanks for the reviews. Thanks, you uh, guys. And all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, check my website, ryansingercomedy.com. Uh, I am on tour uh, in just a couple days after this comes out. So if you're in a city near yes. me, I hope, uh, I hope to see you. Go get a sticker you. from Ryan. I hope to see y'all. See ya. See ya.